The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Rachel Rollins is with me now, and she's the U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts. Rachel, as somebody who's visited Ireland, what what do you think of when I say Ireland? I think of family. I think of my dad, um, and his family is from originally Mayo, Ireland. I think of politics. I think of Boston, and I think of excellence. Wow. Okay, that's a good answer. That is and, a good answer. And Guinness too. I mean, yeah. I okay. I knew. It was, but really, I knew truly, it was going to be in those there on things. The list. Right. Yeah. Um, so listen, I mentioned you are the U.S. attorney uh, for Massachusetts. Uh, given that we've kind of a, di- a different system uh, than you guys have, you're going to have to explain exactly what is that role. What is the U.S. Wonderful. attorney in any state? So um, the U.S. attorney is the chief federal law enforcement officer for the state. So understanding in our United States, there's one federal law that's imposed no matter where you are. Um, the same federal laws apply to everyone, but each state has their own autonomy. The best example I can give of that is, for example, Massachusetts doesn't have the death penalty. As a state, our state's highest court has said, we find it unconstitutional based on our state constitution. But other states have their own autonomy and right to say, no, we believe in the death penalty. Um, So I am the chief federal law enforcement officer. And there's a lot of overlap, Kieran, between what local prosecutors do and what federal prosecutors do. But there's a couple things that only we can do as the federal government. For example, national security um, is one of those examples. Um, So an act of terrorism would be something that we would be um, almost exclusively or certainly exclusively responsible for. We do a lot of work in the healthcare fraud space. Um, We do a lot of public corruption that, you know, is too big for maybe a small prosecutor's office to look into. But I used to be the elected DA of Boston, and now I'm the U.S. attorney. And there are lots of similarities, but lots of differences. So so you're uh, prosecuting breaches of federal law. That's right. Okay. Federal law. And so uh, there's a lot of overlap between federal and state law, but I think what you know, the best way to describe what the Department of Justice can do is I am one of 93 federal prosecutors across the entire country that report up to the Department of Justice. And we we set our policies based on what the president and the attorney general of our entire country determined, Merrick Garland. But as DA, I was I had autonomy completely and got to decide, no, 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 here in Suffolk County, because Rachel Rollins is the DA, we're going to do it this way. It's very different now where I am in a system, a bureaucratic system of which I I don't mind because Mm. I believe this attorney general has some really exceptional policies and thinks um, really uh, firmly about making sure that gun violence and gang violence is really um, targeted, mm. as well as civil rights in the United States of America. Okay, I want to ask you about a couple of them, but these are, again, might be silly questions to you, but why is there 90-something yeah, U.S. attorneys? Great. So that's a super great question. It's not silly at all. So in our country, every state either has from one to four U.S. attorneys. Oh, so Massachusetts okay. is small. I'm, I'm the only one. Um, all of our New England states only have one. Um, California, New York, and Texas have four, and but they have distinct jurisdictions where they, uh, because they're they're um, land, they have so much land and space, uh, it's broken up that way. So it's just broken up into districts, and that's the way our federal government did it. I don't know whether there's rhyme or reason to it, but there are only 93 of us. Um, we get together often, and we are the chief federal law enforcement officer. So the FBI, um, the 
DEA, these are all alphabet things, but our, you know, uh, ATF looks at um, ammunition, firearms, um, and, um, and, and other uh, acts of, um, you know, explosives and other things. They all report not directly to me, but we work together, but I am at the top of that uh, federal uh, criminal justice system, making um, statements on behalf of all of them at times. So, do, do you serve then at the at the, the mercy of Merrick Garland, that who is, serves at the mercy of the president? That's exactly right. Okay, I serve technically at the mercy of the president, but yes, Merrick Garland as well. And meanwhile, when I was DA, I served at the pleasure of the voters. Okay. So. If I check my phone right now, let's hope it doesn't happen, and I get a call or a text that says, thank you so much for your service. We're putting Caroline Ferguson in as the new U.S. attorney for the district. That's I've had my time, and I'm you know honored to have done it, but I serve at the pleasure of the president um, or the attorney general. When I was DA, the only thing that could get me out of that job, absent you know an indictment and an act by our state legislature, mm. which no one ever wants to speak about, right? But... Um, is basically the voters saying, thank you, um, we, we, we voted for somebody else. So that's a really big difference. And I had to be nominated by the President of the United States, but then confirmed by our U.S. Senate. And the nomination was, um, you know, wonderful and smooth, and the Senate process was a little bumpy. Yeah. Um, and we got through with two tied, uh, tie, ties that were broken by the Vice President. But you know, again, a win is a win, I would say. And, and talk to me a little bit about that uh, kind of confirmation process through the Senate, because it, 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 I guess it started to get more and more attention. You know, there's been different times in the past where different people, for, for whatever reason, ha- have had a difficult time. It, it seems to have become utterly adversarial over the last six to eight years. Yeah, it's, it's gotten tough, I think, but I will own some of that, right? When I ran for office, I didn't have in the room with me as Caroline uh, Ferguson, who's my, you know, comms guru. When you run for office, Kieran, I, I'm not, I wasn't a politico before I ran for office. I decided at 46 for the first time to do it. I didn't have a comms team. So my what I was known for was these 15 low-level non-serious crimes that I was going to flip the presumption from always prosecuting to like diverting away so that we could um, focus on violent serious crimes. But I called it the do not prosecute list it because it, it's catchy. But I prosecuted 25% of those, but it says do not prosecute. Yeah. So, you know, if, if I'm conservative... I understand that people are saying, why are you running to be a prosecutor if you're not going to prosecute crimes? And I needed to explain that a little better, and I'll own that. But I hope that my record um, of those three years when I was actually in that job and I showed, you know what, in 75% of the cases, we didn't prosecute people who were having a mental health issue and were trespassing because they were homeless. Um, But in 25% of those cases, we did, and my predecessor in 60 plus percent of the cases declined to prosecute too. We had to explain it a little better. Um, And I think, honestly, there was a little bit maybe of me being a scapegoat, but I'm a face of of a new movement of people. And I understand that there are some Mm -hmm. people that are skeptical. And I hope that my track record, though, proves that I care about public safety and I cared about the people that I had the privilege of representing when I was elected and now um, as appointed as well. What is that new movement of people? I would say there's a new movement of people that are saying, I don't know if we're saying it as well as we should, right? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a movement in the United States of America 
And again, I'm not disparaging them, but people that say defund the police. Mm. We need the police, right? As, as DA, Kieran, I, I would show up at, at shootings. I would show up at murder uh, scenes. I would show up at, um, you know, uh, active shooter situations. We need trained members of law enforcement that can escalate or de-escalate in those circumstances. And anyone who's ever unfortunately had to call the police was very grateful, I'm assuming, uh, often when they showed up and helped them to safety. But I do think we do need to make sure we hold the police to a high standard because they have a lot of power and autonomy to make decisions that can result in people losing their lives, right? So I think what we have to be better at is the language we use, but I think the police also need to recognize, hey, if you have a $400 million budget that is um, part of our city budget, you should be comfortable answering some questions about why it needs to be so high and um, without sort of being defensive about that, mm. right? Because the, the, the school department has to answer those questions, right, without being defensive. And, you know, parks and recreation has to answer those questions. Why is it that the police, um, anytime you question what they're doing, you might be labeled as anti-law enforcement? And I, I work really hard to say, no, 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 I am... I am supportive of law enforcement, but I do have questions and I think you need to be comfortable answering them. Yeah, I think there's a natural reluctance to to be seen to be critical of the people who run towards danger That's on right. our behalf. And at the same time, and, and maybe this is kind of our view from afar, like I, I look at some of the police departments and forces and I know, again, like the prosecutorial system and the legal system, it's very different here than it is at home. But, I mean, the level of militarization just seems absolutely mental. Right. Well, and, you know, but at the same time, what we have that Ireland doesn't is a proliferation of guns. I mean, we have more guns in the United States of America. And believe me, I have a license to carry. I do. I thought it was important for me to get, I don't have a firearm, but I have a license to carry a firearm because when I ran for office, I didn't want to be talking about guns and not ever having handled one myself. And my father is a veteran and, you know, was a corrections officer and my uncles were in law enforcement. And so I'm not afraid of firearms, but I've seen the, the deadly, um, you know, implications of when they are in the hands of the wrong people. And... For me, I just think we have to be better at making sure that without infringing on the Second Amendment, that we require that people that are going to have a deadly weapon at least have cleared, you know, um, no known mental health issues that are acute and active right now um, or haven't been prohibited, um, either due to a criminal record or age um, or not being licensed or some other way that we do that. So, but I agree with you. You know, I think what I've learned to do, and I'm trying to do it much better now than I think when I was an elected official or running for office, is the police have an incredibly hard job, right? That you're right, they run toward danger while we're sprinting in the other direction. Um, they don't get paid enough. They put their life in danger every single day when they go to work. And I think, you know, we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the marathon bombing. 
um, in a matter of weeks. And one of the things I'm doing is trying to make sure that we are honoring those first responders. So it's important that when we criticize or hold people accountable, we also make sure that we are just as loud, if not louder, when they do exceptional mm. work, which is very, very often. Uh, if, if you're just tuning in to us here on The Hard Shoulder, we're coming to you live from Boston, Massachusetts, and the U.S. Attorney for the state, Rachel Rollins, uh, is my guest. So when we talk about gun proliferation, we're probably guilty in Ireland. We, we kind of talk about the states as, as kind of one homogenous place. I mean, to what extent is that a, an acute problem in Massachusetts? Yeah, so we, what's really fascinating is we have some of the strictest gun laws in the country, um, but because we are abutted by, we love New Hampshire, but, you know, their, their I think, motto is live free or die, um, which, you know, Okay, uh, but we have other we have other states that abut us, um, and there's no sort of not that I'm implying we need this, but you can travel throughout our country without having to stop at a border or or show yourself. So there is a steel line of like um, illegal guns coming up through Georgia, et cetera, that might land here in Massachusetts or Maine or New Hampshire or somewhere else. Um, we also have seen, which is really terrifying the proliferation of ghost guns or like homemade firearms that are made on a 3D printer. Um, They are not necessarily illegal per se, but firearms have to be registered, right? So um, if you, you know, and this isn't like a musket that your great, 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 great grandfather passed down to. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that are making either um, conversion devices, which turn a semi-automatic weapon into an automatic weapon, meaning instead of having to pull the trigger each time, you pull it once. These so-called uh, bump stocks. Is yes, that what they were the called? Bump we saw it oh, in the Las Vegas yes, shootings. Yes, it, it, bump stocks. It got a lot of attention, um, yeah. And, you know, some of those look like um, Glock. We also have things called Glock switches, where they look like almost a Lego um, they're that small that can really convert a firearm into, which is already a deadly weapon, into almost, um, you know, uh, something that is clearly trained to um, create the most harm as possible. Mm. And then we recently are really proud that we charged a few people, and you're innocent until you're proven guilty, but we've charged them with some machine gun sort of uh, conversion devices, which were essentially turning deadly weapons into what we would say are weapons of war. Um, And there's no good reason to have, that's not for hunting, right? That's not for, you know, sharp shooting, right? Or duck shooting. This is, um, we would argue as members of law enforcement, um, really dangerous because you can, you can, and many, many lives in a matter of seconds. We, we were speaking to a reporter from the Boston Globe uh, yesterday, um, a, a kind of about a whole, whole range of issues, and he was talking about fentanyl, and he, he had some statistics uh, that were absolutely mind-blowing, yeah. you know, about uh, the, 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 the level of death and destruction that it's leaving in its wake, yeah. you know, across the whole country. To, to what extent is that kind of climbed up the criminal justice priority list in the last couple of years. Absolutely it has. And what we see often is criminality moves quicker than law enforcement can, right? Because we need new laws to, um, it takes a process and there should be a process, but sometimes it takes a little too long for us to catch up to the criminal behavior that is happening every day. And with fentanyl, what we see is just even, you know, like 
the, the most minuscule amounts can, can be fatal. Um, and we have seen over 2,000 deaths in Massachusetts alone. And um, these are individuals that, you know, um, are in the throes of a substance use disorder potentially, or even when we see um, people um, selling um, prescription drugs that they have um, lied and said are Adderall, for example, and they're some other street-level drug. So we just need to really educate, um, I think, our younger people about this. But we also see adults that are doing this. Uh, the opioid crisis is one that literally cuts across every single race, every single age, every single you know gender, uh, you know tax bracket. You would be hard to find a person that has doesn't know somebody that has either passed away um, or is in the throes of addiction. And for me, it's very personal, right? I, I am the guardian of two of my nieces. I have siblings that are struggling with um, substance use disorder, and there are many lives that are impacted by um, by drugs, not just the life of the person that's taking them, right? It's their children and their loved ones and their family, and the ripple effects are very big. Well, listen, Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And thanks a million for taking the time uh, to chat to us. It just so happens we're going to hear from former police chief, uh, Boston police chief, Kathleen O'Toole, uh, a little bit later in the show. I was texting with her this morning. She's wonderful. Oh, great stuff. Yeah. Well, listen, we look forward to her. And she has her own involvement, of course, in policing uh, in Ireland, north and south of the border. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy. With Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.